got here uh, four years, four and a half years ago. Bob said, I don't teach. I don't do any of that. So now he teaches. He does all of that. He was with Andrew and I, and he was one of the people helping pray with people as they came through the lines uh, at the backpack thing on Thursday night. So it has been neat to watch, um, watch Bob grow. And uh, what God is doing in Bob is, I believe, what he's doing in all of us. We're all going to teach in different ways. It might not always be up here, like on a Sunday morning preaching. It might be one-on-one with someone at a coffee shop. It might be leading uh, a small group or table group, what we've been calling them. Uh, But God is leading all of us to disciple other people. And that's what we want to help. That's what we want to encourage. And one thing we do very strongly believe is that we do grow in maturity in Christ uh, with others. God has not designed it so that we mature by ourselves. There is no lone rangers. There are no supermen in the Bible. There's only Jesus Christ. He's the one we look to. And we become like him in community with others. And so uh, we don't have a lot of community groups yet. We are developing them, and they're seeming to be growing quite rapidly. Uh, But there's this sign-up sheet in your bulletin. And what I want to just ask you is, would you write your name down if you would like to be a part of one? Now, I can't guarantee that you can be right now, because I don't know how many we're going to have. Um, and then also, that you'd be interested in leading. Now, this does not mean you have to lead, you will lead, but it helps us know, hey, this person's considering it, or would like more information about it, and we would like to talk more with you about that. And so, if you don't mind filling this out, placing it in the offering when it comes by, um, We're going to be talking more about table groups just as we continue to go throughout the year, um, but really want to bring that to you. If you are part of our junior church, I want to go ahead and encourage you, if you are, you know, this tall or smaller, go ahead and line up over here. It's neat. This month, uh, Andrew, with some of the uh, high school students, are teaching the younger children. So actually, our adults who are normally down there are are getting a little bit of a break while um, while our high school students are taking what they have been learning, and they're now applying it to, to others. And so it is uh, really neat and exciting to see how God is using them. So pray for them. Pray for patience, perseverance. See you later, buddy. Good luck. Hope you come back. That's cool. Um, we're in the Psalms. That's where we're at right now. We spent a lot of time in Galatians. We're now in the Psalms. Next week is Psalm 32. Uh, I say that so that hopefully you can go ahead and begin reading Psalm 32. I'm really excited about next week. I'm so excited about all of them, but as I was preparing for next week, um, I encourage you, go ahead and begin just praying through Psalm 32. But this week we are in Psalm 29. The title is, The Thundering Voice of the Lord. And I think that'll make a lot of sense as we make our way into this psalm. Um, And we're just going to go and start by reading the psalm today. So I go ahead and invite you to stand. One of the things we do here is we stand when we read God's word. We do that um, as a way to honor God, as a way of worshiping God. We believe his word comes to us inspired by his spirit. And so uh, we stand in reverence of God. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. 
The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Sarion like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you for the Psalms. I thank you for this, your book of Psalm. As in this, we see what, is, what it is to live as your people under your rule in your creation. And God, as we go throughout the Psalms, sometimes we see great joy, but also we see that at times in this world there is great sorrow. Lord, help us today by understanding your word, by understanding this Psalm. God, strengthen our faith. Give us the peace that only comes from you. God, may we know that you are God. May we know that there is no other God. May we know that you are in control of all things and that you have more power than all of creation put together. And God, help us to humbly come before you and bow down and worship you today. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. Well, as you know, uh, just about every year I go off to Oklahoma, went to Oklahoma this last uh, couple weeks in July. Uh, now, last year in 2016, went to Oklahoma and every year I go golfing, I, I love golfing. And go with a few other family members. And in Oklahoma, there's things that we don't have here. They're called tornado sirens. And so we're out golfing, and the tornado sirens start going off. And we're having a good game, though. We're like, ah, what do we do? So we go ahead and pressed in a few more holes. And when the trees begin to bend, we were like, probably a good time to head in. So uh, we, we started racing back to our car. Rain started coming down. Uh, pretty soon, we saw the giant trees that were bending now just cracking under the weight of the wind and being thrown to the ground. In fact, we saw, we saw something that I, I, don't, I still don't even know how it's possible. We saw a soccer goal just scoot across the field. Now, a soccer goal doesn't have a lot of mass to it. I, I, the winds kicked up to a little over 100 plus miles an hour and just everything was moving. You could not see as we were driving. It was just buckets of rain coming down. Trees began to crashing out all over the place. Um, we were going forward. Eventually, a large tree crashed over into the road, which then made us reroute. We turned backwards to when a small tree fell in front of us. So a buddy and I, we jumped out saying, okay, we can move this tree. And as soon as we opened the door, we were instantaneously soaked. We could not have been more wet if we jumped into a pool. We were completely drenched. We run out. We move the tree. We come back. It took us hours to go, just a few miles that we needed because of all the debris that was there. We saw mattresses flying through the sky. Um, we saw all of this happening because of a storm, because of a thunderstorm, because of a tornado. And this is Psalm 29. In Psalm 29, David witnesses some type of thunderstorm. And, and it levels creation, and he writes this psalm, and it's a praise to God. It's 100% praise to God for his glory and for his power and for his strength. And he says, I want you to know this God and that's what happens when we look at creation through the lens of the Word of God. We begin to see how a tornado in Oklahoma also points to the very glory and the very power of God. 
And this psalm, it's neat because I, I think it's used to deconstruct any weak and pathetic view we might have of God or that the world might have of God. And David is intent on giving us a strong, robust, awesome view of God. One that, as we see, leads the people of God to praise God. And so that's really my goal is as we make our way through this psalm, it is to move us to praise the structure of the psalm, I have that in your bulletin, verses 1 and 2, uh, the Lord is to be worshipped, it's kind of like a call to worship, 3 through 9, the Lord is powerful and mighty, that's where we have the description of God in this thunderstorm, and then verses 10 through 11, we see the Lord reigns forever on his throne. So we're just going to begin, we're going to make our way through the psalm, and I have some questions uh, that we're just going to ask as we begin. Uh, we see the Lord is to be worshipped, but, but notice who that David is calling us to worship. Who do we worship? One thing we, we talked about when we're in the Psalms, we're going to see a lot of repetition. There's poetry. There's parallelism. You're given one line, and then the next line sounds really similar to the line that was just given, slightly different. Repetition is not for just repetition's sake, but it's to drive home the point of the Psalm. And one thing we have here, 18 times, David uses the word Lord, and when you see the word L-O-R-D in all capitals in your Bible, that is the word Yahweh, specifically naming God, God the covenant name of God, as Lord. And so God, David is not calling us to worship any God, any Lord, just anyone. You say this is your Lord, you say this is your Lord. He's saying, no, no, there is one Lord, it is L-O-R-D, it is the God of the Bible, it is the God of Israel, and that's who he's calling us to worship here. The word Lord appears in every single verse at least once, except for verse 6. And so we see who we worship. Now, who is David calling to worship? Three times in these verses, in these opening verses, do we see the word ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. And the word means to give, and in context it means to give praise. He's saying, give praise to God, give praise to God, give praise to God. But look at verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. There's two options here who these are. Number one, it could be pagan gods. In Exodus chapter 15, verse 11, uh, the same word used here is used to refer to pagan gods. The word elim, which is the Hebrew word, is a common near ancient uh, word used for pagan gods. So if this is the case, then David is calling for all deities to fall before the one true God. Now this doesn't mean that he's recognizing these deities as true gods. It's not what that would mean. But he's recognizing that there is one God and, and whoever you worship, whatever you think is God, everything bows before the one Lord. Or it could be angels. David is so full of joy as he looks at this thunderstorm and he's worshiping God that he's calling the angels to join with him in worship as he praises God. So regardless whether we think it's a pagan God or the angels, David is seeing that there is one Lord who has all power, all strength, and all glory, and he is the one that all creation comes before and bows down before. Now why do we worship the Lord? Verse 1 we're ascribing glory and strength to God. Glory kind of refers to God's weight. It refers to all that he is. It refers to his size and his strength and his might. 
and strength would be the attribute that David is particularly focusing on, which becomes clear as we will make our way into the rest of the psalm. Then David, so he says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Then he repeats himself, ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. That's very similar to what he just said, but to say the word name, names in the Bible refer to all that a person is. So when we say ascribe praise to the name of God, we're saying praise God for everything that he is. We see something similar in Matthew chapter 6 when we're in the, the Lord's Prayer. We see Jesus says, hallowed be your name, which means to make your name holy. And so uh, there th Jesus is saying, God, we want you to make all of yourself, all of yourself known and holy. Reveal your holiness to this world. And so here in this psalm, David is saying, we give glory to the strength of God, or we give praise to the glory and strength of God. We give glory to his name, to everything there is about God. And then he says how we are to worship God. And there's two things as I want you to see just in the last line of verse 2, where it says, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. He uses ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. Now he changes to worship. All of these are commands. But he changes the word from ascribe to worship because worship speaks of what it looks like to ascribe glory to God. It means that we bow down in submission. So when we come before God and we say, okay, I'm going to ascribe glory to God, we don't do that as we stand tall looking at ourselves, but we come down and we bow down before him. And the second word is the splendor of holiness. So we're not bowing down going, oh, man, I have to bow down before this God, but I really don't want to. But I guess I have to, so he just doesn't hurt me. It's not a fearful bowing down, but it's a we bow down in full devotion to God. We bow down because this is the God of the Bible. This God is full of power and glory and strength. Who else would we bow down to? Who else would we want to? There is no other God. Men, indeed, this is the God that we have. And so, so, in verses 1 and 2, he kind of sets up the mood. He says, okay, we're going to praise Yahweh. We're going to praise the Lord. And we're going to just fall down before him. We're going to do so in absolute devotion. I'm calling all the angels. I'm calling all the pagan gods. Everyone falls down before this God. And now, in verses 3 through 9, David wants to expand our understanding of the glory and the strength of God. And he does this by comparing him to a thunderstorm. And this is not just any thunderstorm. It appears that it, it, it comes off the Mediterranean, and it begins in the north, where Lebanon and Syrian, they're in the very northern tip of Israel, and it goes all the way down to the southern tip of Israel, which is where the Kadesh wilderness is. So this is a thunderstorm that fills the entire land that God has given to his people, and David says, I want you to understand the strength and the might and the power of this God. And what we're going to see is that the voice of the Lord, it thunders in creation so you go to verse three we have the voice of the lord is over the waters and then to clarify he says the god of glory thunders so it's either waters either refers to the mediterranean or it refers to just the clouds that are filled with water but regardless we have god's voice is a thunderstorm full of power and majesty it comes booming across the sea as it makes its way to land when we lived in Michigan, which is where we lived before we moved here, 
I mean, we had some amazing thunderstorms. We don't really have thunderstorms up here a lot. Like, we just don't have a lot of thunder and lots of, lots of displays of lightning. But in Michigan, we had thunderstorms, good, powerful thunderstorms that wake you from your dead of sleep, you know? We would watch as the dark storm clouds would come over uh, Lake Michigan. They'd be rolling over Lake Michigan, bringing their full fury as they hit land. I mean, it was an awesome sight. The thunder was so loud, you could feel it like shake the inside of you. It was so loud. Flashes of lightning would begin to light up the sky. And the lightning, it was like, it was like a giant uh, sword just slicing through. You would just see the brilliant streaks of light as it sliced this way and this way. And they would slice through giant oak trees as if they were twigs. One of our neighbors down the street had this giant oak tree that got hit by one of these uh, slices of lightning and just laid the tree right over on top of the house, crushing the entire roof. This is how David wants us to understand our God. This is, this is the imagery that he's using that we would understand his glory and his strength. And in verse 5 he says, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. Now these trees... They grew in the mountains of Lebanon, which began at about 3,300 feet and went up to about 6,000-something feet. And these trees would grow about 100 feet tall with a 6-foot diameter. They were used for the building of the temple. And throughout, um, throughout the Bible, we see these trees are referred to as these pillars of strength, as might. And here we see God's voice breaks what man says is mighty and powerful, and he breaks them like toothpicks. Verse 6, the voice of the Lord makes the mountains of Lebanon to skip and dance. Look at it. It says that he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Verse 8, we see this mighty thunderstorm has gone from the north. It now fills all of the land, making its way down to the south, to the Kadesh wilderness, where it shakes the wilderness. Just imagine just seeing the sand shaking the rock shaking and that's what it does as the voice of the lord comes upon it in verse 9 we read the voice of the lord makes the deer give birth does that sound strange in a thunderstorm i think it sounds strange so if you notice you have a little footnote there and i think a a better translation i think uh would be that the lord causes the oaks to shake the reason I, I prefer that is because that parallels the shaking of the wilderness, and then it seems to fit with, if you keep reading verse 9, the, the forest is being stripped bare by this storm. So the wilderness is shaking, the oaks are shaking, and all the trees lose all their branches and all their limbs and all their leaves. So I think that fits a little bit better. But what David is wanting us to do, he's wanting us to envision a thunderstorm so huge, so powerful, that it spreads across all of Israel, breaking the mighty cedars of Lebanon, making mountains tremble and dance, shaking the wilderness and the oaks, and stripping every branch from a forest so that it now appears naked. And that's the power of God. If you remember, just a few months ago here, in Lacey, we had one of those flash storms that came upon us in minutes. You know, Olympia has no idea what we went through. Like, it's crazy. Like, there's this line somewhere where you go from Olympia to here where it's all beautiful and peaceful and, like, they've got a sprinkle. And then you come over to Lacey and there was death and destruction. I mean, just everything was laid down. 
The winds reached over 100 miles an hour. Carpenter, I think, was hurt, was hit the worst. Countless amount of trees were over on Carpenter. Almost every telephone pole and electrical pole was laid down. There were some of the mighty trees, these big fir trees that reached several hundred feet. They were just toppled over, all over the place. Um, a couple houses just north of us uh, were hit. One of them was hit so bad that they've now condemned the house. They have the yellow tape all around the house because it was completely and absolutely destroyed by one of these trees breaking because of the wind and landing on the house. I was outside at this time because that's where I am in storms. I'm lighting the grill. All of a sudden it starts raining and I'm like, that'll be fine. I'm lighting the grill because, you know, it's hot and we don't heat the, we don't heat the inside of the house during the the summer with the stove or anything like that, so we're outside. I'm lighting the grill, and then I have to make my way back to the house, and the storm has increased now, and by the time I got to the house, and I'm completely and absolutely soaked. If you notice, in storms, somehow I'm outside always getting wet. I don't really know how. Um, then right after the storm, we look out our front yard. I mean, there is, you couldn't see the street. You couldn't hardly see the grass. There was trees and branches everywhere in the front yard. One of our neighbors had some of our limbs, most likely, that flew across into her yard that were in about two feet deep, just nice big logs that were just speared into her yard. And that's the power of God. I mean, if you think about it, houses and trees are things that we consider strong. When you're scared, when there's a big storm, where do you run? You run inside the house, right? Inside the house, we are safe. We make big, strong things in our power. We see big, strong things grow in creation, and yet God's power breaks them like toothpicks, like they're nothing. By the mere breath of his voice, all of creation bends before him. I want you to think about this. Um, if you're a parent or elders, uh, we're going to be presenting some elders in September uh, for 2018. A role of an elder and a role of a parent is very similar, at least in, in some ways. We're both called to shepherd. A parent primarily shepherds those in his house. Uh, an elder shepherds a little bit larger house, would shepherd you know, the church. And one of the things that we do when we shepherd, whether you're a parent or, or you're an elder and as a church, you continually help orient and reorient those you love to a right understanding of God. The world continually distorts the God of the Bible. If you remember all the way back into Genesis 3, Satan comes to Eve and says, you know, you don't really need to bow down before God. He's kind of holding back on you. If you eat this fruit, you can be God. You don't need a God who's holding out on you when you could truly be the God that you want to be. So it paints God as this horrible monster that's trying to suppress us. That's always what the world does. That's always what the sin does. That's, <coughs> that's what our own flesh wants to do. In fact, many times if you talk to people today about Jesus, they describe him as some effeminate person that smokes weed and says love like they did in the 60s. They, they redefine God into something that he is not in the Bible, but they want to make him manageable. They want to make him into a God that they can understand and that they can tame. But here in Psalm 29, we don't have a tame God. We don't have a God that we can just wrap our arms around or that we can put in a box and put a bow on and say, isn't this pretty? But we have a God who breaks creation, who at his voice, creation bows before him. So I want to encourage you, if you're a parent, we, we have a continuous job 
of shepherding our children to the correct understanding of God. Because as they're at school, watch TV, wherever they are, they're continually hearing a different message. They're hearing that you can be God. Because that's the message of the world right now. You can become whoever you want. You have the right to believe what you want, and you have the right to make others believe that too. And if, you, and if they don't, you can use force to show them your view is superior to their view, which is very similar to what we just saw in Charlottesville, Virginia, right? We have people coming and saying, this is what I believe. You don't like that. I will now force you to do that. And if you don't, I will then drive a car into a crowd of people where then they will be hurt and even die. This is the message of the world. You can do whatever you want. No one has the right to question you. But if they don't like it, if they try to prevent you from practicing your belief, you have the right to defend it at whatever cost. Usually they mean physical. So we have a a, a job as elders, as parents, to shepherd our children, to shepherd those that we love to the right understanding that there is a God who is in control. And the way that we show our love to him and, and for him to others is not by force, but by love and by humility and by serving others. I want to encourage you as parents and as grandparents, don't think that you're off the hook. Your kids still need shepherding as they shepherd their children. Your, your grandkids need you to shepherd them. And if you don't have children, don't think that you're off the hook. Because other people are watching you also, and you have an amazing role of shepherding them and teaching them what it is to live a life in submission to, to the God of the Bible. And notice how David continually refers to God in this Bible and his strength. He says, the voice of the Lord. Seven times David says, the voice of the Lord, 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 the voice of the Lord. He doesn't refer to God's arm. He doesn't refer to his hands or his mighty legs, but merely his voice. Why? What's he getting at? God is so powerful that whatever he speaks, it brings forth that very reality. There's no resistance against his will. Psalm 50, or Isaiah 55, 11 says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So this is one of my favorite passages because it's why I preach every day. This is why I preach, because when God's word goes forth, it will bring forth whatever goal, end, accomplishment that God has desired. He says, it shall accomplish that which I purpose. When God speaks, creation bends. When God speaks, knees are bowed before him. And we kind of know a little bit about this, right? Like if my daughter goes to her brother and says, brother, you need to clean your room. Her words bring forth no authority. There's no reality that comes forth from those words except maybe being pushed by her older brother. Now, if I go to my son and I say, you need to clean your room, my words carry much more authority. He cleans his room. But he doesn't have to, does he? Like even my words doesn't actually make him do what I ask him to do. He technically could say, well, no, Dad, I'm not going to do that. And then at that moment, we enter into a different type of uh, negotiating and talking. But then what am I doing? I'm showing him that there is discipline, that there is um, 
consequences if you do not listen to the authority of my voice. But when God speaks, whatever he says, whatever he purposes, happens. It occurs. There is no resistance. There is no conquering the voice and the very power of God. And we see this throughout the Bible, right? We see the power of God demonstrated. We begin with it right in Genesis 1. We see God speaks creation into place. Have you ever tried that? I want the banana split. It just doesn't happen, right? Like when we speak, we don't actually have the authority, the power to create the reality in which we are speaking. But God does. He has that power. He says, let there be light, let there be land, let there be people, let there be animals, and it speaks it into creation. We see God flooding the world by mere command. He unleashes the waters, and they flood the earth. We see God parting the Red Sea with a breath. We see God crushing the walls of Jericho with mere instruments. There is nothing in all of creation that can resist the power and the will of God. And most clearly, where do we see this? We see it at the cross, right? We see it in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you notice, Jesus comes onto the scene, and what happens? Mark is amazing for just highlighting the power of God and his authority. We see instantly with words, he heals the lepers, the blind, and the lame. We see with words, he calms the storm. And remember what the disciples do after that? What kind of person is this? Who has this kind of power? With words, he raises Lazarus from the dead. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the very power that he speaks brings forth the reality that now Lazarus has life in his bones and he comes out of the tomb? Don't you want to be there for that day? Aren't there so many things when you're reading the Bible, you're like, if I could just watch that, that would be really cool. With words, he casts out the demons. Remember the guy that comes before him with the legion of demons? Jesus doesn't have to, like, you know, do some type of dance. He's not trying to work up some type of power. He just casts them out. But most clearly, we see this in the fact that Jesus, how he died, and then how he rose again. Let me read John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18. I think this is up on the screen. John 10, 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Now, read that slowly. How did Jesus die? Was it because the Romans overpowered him? No. Jesus died because he laid down his life. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. With mere words, Jesus raises himself from the dead. Have you noticed that? Jesus wasn't killed by man in the sense that he was conquered by man. He laid down his life. And then he takes his life back up again three days later, showing that nothing in creation, not even death, has the power to resist the power and authority of Jesus Christ. When we come to the Psalms, we need to understand they are all sung to Jesus, and they can all be sung from Jesus to the Father. So Jesus can come here and he can cry out the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, referring to what God has done. He can cry this out to the power of God, but it also we see that they can be sung to Jesus because ultimately 
what we see in this psalm that speaks of the power of God, it's demonstrated in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as David is writing this psalm, and he's using a thunderstorm to describe its power, it's looking forward to the day when Jesus comes, showing his full power over life and death. And we clearly see that now at the cross. And notice what God's people are doing in the midst of this storm. Look at verse 9. Notice what they're doing. In his temple, all cry glory. So we start in the heavens, and we've now made our way to the earth. We see this God. We're ascribing to him glory. We're calling the angels. We're calling the pagan deities. And now we see that God's people, in the midst of this thunderstorm that is shaking and tearing apart creation, they're falling down before God in worship. Why? What would you be doing when all of creation begins falling down around us? Well, they fall down because of verses 10 and 11. Look at this. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. Notice that there's that repetition, that parallelism. He sits enthroned over the flood. What does that mean? He sits enthroned as king forever. He sits over everything. You see, the reason God's people are in the temple praising God is because this thunderstorm is, uh, that is causing all of creation to tremble, it's not chaos. Neither is it God throwing a temper tantrum that something did not go his way. Rather, the thunderstorm is an act of grace by God to demonstrate the power that he has so that we, his people, would bow down in humble adoration before him. You see, in a thunderstorm, and just think about it, the storm that we had back in Lacey, uh, or back a few months ago here in Lacey, you don't go out in the midst of that thunderstorm when trees are cracking, houses are falling apart, and, and the water is filling up in the street. You don't go out in the storm and you say, look at how great I am. Like, right? Like, imagine just how foolish that would sound. Look how strong I am as trees are falling down around you. But rather, the proper response is to be moved to worship because you see that there is a God who everything powerful, the mountains, the trees, the wilderness, the waters, all the things that we look at are these acts of just power. They fall straight down before God in acts of worship before him. And so also do we as his people. So what happens when we have a vision like this? What happens when we have an understanding of this kind of God? I think there's at least two things. We could probably make a long list, but I put two things. Number one, we experience the peace and strength that only comes from God. Look at verse 11. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So, now this is a different kind of God than you read in any other form of literature. A lot of times you'll come across a God who is so large, who is so powerful, but because of that, he's not near to people. He has no relationship with him. There's no way for us to associate with him. He, he's too big. Or there's a God who's so like us, this is like the Greek gods, in which he's not all-powerful, which is why there was Greek gods for all these different, why there was gods for all different types of, um, all different types of nature. 
They were so similar to us that they were not all powerful. So I need to appease this God, then later I need to appease this God, then later I need to appease this God. But when we come to the Bible, we have a God who is full of power, full of might, full of strength, and yet he is also near to us. So that he gives us his strength and peace. That's the God that we have. There's no other God that you will find that's like this in all of history. Where he's infinitely powerful and he's near to us. In fact, he's so near, he sends his son Jesus to die on the cross that when we believe in him, his spirit dwells in us that we would what? We would become like him. And when that happens, we begin to experience his strength and his peace, which is what David talks about right here in verse 11. I mean, think about it. Have you ever been in awe? Maybe you're, you're reading the Bible and you read about different figures and you're just in awe at how they stand firm in their faith and persecution. Are you ever in awe of that? Reading about Paul. And how did he stand firm? How, how did he do that? Maybe, maybe you're in the book of Daniel. You're reading about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at this moment, he's conquered Jerusalem. He's brought forth, uh, uh, you know, exiles now from Jerusalem into Babylon. And he has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before him, who are representative probably of others. And he says, you will bow down before the idol that I made, or I will throw you into my oven where you will be burned to death. What do you do at that moment? When you think about that, like, what do you do? How do you respond? The way you respond will, deter- will be determined on who your God is at that moment. Do you have a robust biblical view of God or do we have a very small view and so this is how Daniel or this is how Shadrach Meshach and Abednego respond uh, verses 16 and 18 in Daniel chapter 3 Shadrach Meshach and Abednego answered and said to the king O Nebuchadnezzar we have no need to answer you in this matter now this is the most powerful person in all the land he says we don't even need to answer you If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. He says, look, we don't even need to listen to you. Our God can rescue you. You're not ultimately in control, King Nebuchadnezzar. You are not in control. We worship a God who one day every knee will bow before. But then, notice, they don't, they don't say they know how God's going to act. They then say, but if he doesn't answer us, well, wait, what? You mean, you know, Christian life isn't all about prosperity and ease and wonderful? Yeah, even if he doesn't answer us, what? We're not going to bow. Why? Because why would we ever bow to some golden image that you, you have braces to hold up? Why would we worship something man-made when there is a God who is in control of all things and has infinite power? And so they stand before him in strength and peace. Not their strength, not their peace, but the strength and peace that comes from God. Because they know the God of the Bible. Listen, I hope you know that whatever situation you are in, by believing in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean the situation is going to get better. If you're struggling with finances, you come to faith, it doesn't mean we're going to get lots of money. That's the prosperity gospel. That's a very false gospel. But what it does say is that we will be given the very grace 
and the very strength and peace that we need to stand firm in that situation. So whatever situation you are facing, whether it's at work, whether it's at home, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's finances, wherever you are, God doesn't in this life promise, I'm going to make your life better, but he does say, I will give you the strength and the peace that you need that only comes from me so that you can stand firm in whatever situation you are in and you can praise God in that time. Whatever sin we're struggling with, I hope you know this. There is no sin that you are facing or will ever face that by God's power cannot be overcome. And we need to know that because the way we talk about sins at times, the way we talk about struggles, we often talk and verbalize them as if, I mean, this is just the way things are. We're never going to get over it. I've been battling this for five years. Surely there's no hope for it now. There is not one sin, there is not one thing in this world that, can be over, that cannot be overcome by the power of God. Now, will he give you complete victory over it? I mean, that's, that's a whole different kind of conversation. But let us know that whatever sin you are struggling with or whatever sin of a loved one that you are praying with, there is hope in that situation because of the power of our God. Now, perhaps you've been watching the news and you or others you know, you're full of fear. I mean, you, you watch the threats of North Korea. You're wondering what that's going to mean. What are we going to do in response? There's a lot of conversations going on right now. A lot of people are, are scared. A lot of people are kind of shaking, like, what's going to happen? How does this text inform how we think and how we act? Based upon this text, who's in control? true right like are you asking or are you telling me god right like is it god god is the one in control like from the word so what we're doing is we're going to say okay here's the reality kim jong-un looks like he's in control trump looks like he's in control and all of it looks scary and crazy because we're talking nuclear here right and so it's easy to go but what's going to happen and then so what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, this is my perception of reality, but now I'm going to take the word of God, which is reality, and I'm going to put that over what I see, and I'm going to allow the word of God to now transform my view of the visible reality so I understand, okay, in this earth, it looks like this North Korean dictator is in control. It looks pretty scary. Not sure what Trump is going to do. Not sure how Japan and China are going to be responding right now. But rather than be moved to fear, I go, there's a God who is powerful, and his word will not be overcome. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen in this situation, but I can stand firm because our God reigns. And nothing will happen outside of his will, and he will give us the strength and peace, and whatever does happen, that we can stand firm. That's how we take this text, and I'll apply that over the reality of our world today. So that's number one. We experience the peace and strength from God. Number two, though, we experience a boldness to proclaim the gospel. When we have this view of God, now think about it. David's intent on wanting us to know God. He wants us to know the thundering voice of God is unable to be resisted. 
And I think we know that better than David does because of where we stand in history. Because we now stand on this side of the cross where we've seen the full display of God's power through the Son, Jesus Christ, coming and dying on the cross, raising again that whoever would believe in him would be forgiven of their sins and be given life. And we know now, and when we preach the gospel, that what happens? Power goes out that people would go from death to life. The whole book of Acts is a testimony of that, right? We see Paul, we see Barnabas, we see John, we see Peter, we see all these different people. They go out, they preach the gospel, some people reject it, and other people go from death to life, and we see churches are planted. Why were they so bold? Why would they go out in the face of persecution? Because they know the gospel is the very power of God. That's what Paul says in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why, Paul? Why are you not ashamed of the gospel? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It is the power of God. If you ever want to know what does the power of God look like, you can look at creation, you can look at all those things, but the clearest, most perfect image that we have given is the cross of Jesus Christ through the word of God. That's where we most clearly see the power of God. And what we're told is that when the word goes forth, when the gospel goes forth, God will bring life. So think about it. Do you know people who are not saved? We're called to make disciples who make disciples. We're called to go spread the gospel. We're called to not only locally, but also globally go and tell people about the gospel. So I just want you to think, who do you know that's not a believer? Start thinking about them, family member, loved one, mailman, Safeway clerk, whoever you talk to a whole lot. Let me ask you, have you shared the gospel with them? See, at that moment, we're all tracking, right? Like, yep, I know unbelievers. I know unbelievers. Have you shared the gospel with them? Ah, not really. I mean, I don't want to be offensive. Who am I to tell them what to believe? Well, I'm really just trying to develop a really good, strong relationship with them first so they really like me. And then maybe they'll have the offer, then they'll, then they'll accept for what me for what I say. I think, I think we need to have good strategies. I think it's good to be in relationships with people. But what we have in the Bible and what we're told is that God's word is so powerful that when we proclaim it, it has the power to give life. And I think one reason we often are hesitant in sharing the gospel is because we're more fearful of a person's response than we are hopeful of what God does through his word. Do you hear that? I think we're more fearful of man's response than we are hopeful of what God promises he can do in his word. Just want you to think about that. We've been given the power of God through the gospel that we would Speak it to others. And we're told that when the voice of God goes out, he can give life. Now, I'm not saying that because of this truth, I just walk out these doors and I easily share the gospel with anyone. Like, so don't think that. Although I'm trying to more and more. I'm trying to just quickly with strangers, quickly with neighbors, quickly with people, just begin talking to them much more about the gospel and the need to believe in it. But what we're told is that the p gospel is so powerful that when God's voice thunders out, he can give life. I want to encourage us that that is so true today. The book of Acts testifies to it. And we will be rejected by some when we share the gospel. 
that only gives us the opportunity to continue to love them, show them the love of the gospel, that they would see the perseverance of the gospel, then in hopes that they still might come to know the gospel. So even in rejection, that gives us opportunities to show the gospel. But there will be some who also believe. There will be some who will believe very quickly. And let us be bold in sharing the gospel. Let us have this vision of our God that the psalmist is giving us, that's pointing us to the cross of Jesus Christ, that says, when we share the gospel, God can give life. And then you might be saying, okay, I like that. I'm not 100% there right now, but I really want to be there. How do I get there? How do I get to the point where I'm saying, yes, that is how I want to live? I want to feel, I want to do that, but I'm, I'm just not quite there, but I really, I want to go down this path. Um, I would say at least two things. We could talk about more, but number one is we, we must be in the Word of God. How do we get a picture of God like we have here in the Bible? It begins with the Bible. So the Psalms, why are they written to us? You ever think about that? They're written so that we would know how to live as God's people in God's earth, right? We would know how to live a happy life. Go back to Psalm 1. Blessed is the man, right? That's the purpose of the psalm. Blessed is the man who lives in worship to God in this world. And then you have this whole bunch of psalms which covers every type of emotion that you and I can possibly have. But then in this first psalm, which is kind of the introductory and casts a whole vision over all the psalms, he says, blessed is the man who does what? Delights in the law and meditates on the, lo- on the, Lord, on the law of the Lord day and night person who knows the word of God will be the one who delights in God, will be the one who is blessed. Doesn't mean like prosperity, but means we'll understand who God is and we'll experience his peace and his strength. Creation is good. Let us look at creation, thunderstorms and other things. But the way we grow in understanding of God is when we come face to face with him in his word. And if we're going to grow and if we're going to be bold and we're going to stand firm in the face of persecution and suffering and rejection it will only be as we have come face to face with God in his word and by faith in his spirit he has strengthened us that we can then stand that way there's no other way that is number one we must come to the very word of God it is given to us as his people that we would stand firm today and so let us come each day every day you come into the bible what you're doing is refining your view of god you're stripping away what the world says and you're refining your view that you would more clearly see the beauty of god the glory of god the power and strength of god so when the when the uh the false gospels come along when the false gods come forth the counterfeit ones you clearly see them for what they are foolish because we've spent so much time looking at the true God. Number two, and you'll see how this comes right in, it's with other people. It's with what we call small groups and table groups, right? We can't do this alone, because there's going to be times that you or I, both of us, we're going to become derailed in our understanding of God. We're going to begin believing something that the world says, and what do I need at that moment? Yes, I need the Word, but at that moment... I'm not wanting to respond to the word. So what do I need? I need you to come with me, come to me with the word saying, this is what the word of God says. Why are we beginning to stray from that and bring me forth? That's the whole purpose of of small groups and table groups. 
It's a group of people intentionally coming together for the purpose of transforming more and more like Jesus Christ. And we all need that. There is no becoming like Jesus apart from the word and apart from other people. We must have both. And that's not me or other pastors coming up with a cool program. Well, we should just do small groups. No, we do small groups because we see that that is a tangible way of living out what God says in the Bible, that we need one another. I need you to spur me on in my faith. You need me to spur you on in your faith. I need you to correct me, exhort me, encourage me, and teach me with the word. And you need the same thing from me. And we must come alongside one another and continually exhorting and continually encouraging so that we will stand firm for the gospel. And the way that happens is in the Bible and with one another. So what I want to do is I, I want to just take a few moments as we close, and uh, I, I just want to give us a few moments to pray. And just wherever you're at, you can just pray, and, and if there's sin, you need to confess. Maybe your sin is, man, I have not believed God is this powerful. I have been acting as if God is much smaller. I have purposely not shared the gospel with him because I am definitely afraid of what people say. I mean, just walk through, just what, what is God doing in you in this text? And then also, let's just take time here, not only to confess sin, but let's praise God for who he is. Let's praise God. Spend time just in your chair. Just, God, I praise you. You, at your voice, creation bends down before you. And there is a day coming. Philippians 2 says that every knee will bow. So let's just take a few moments, pray, confess sin, praise God. And then I'll close us, and then we'll continue just in worship of God through music. Uh, we had one question that was asked. Just so you know, you can text questions in. There's a number on the bottom of your um, bulletin. Um, and the question was, if we have the Spirit of God in us, then do we not have the same authority as God? We do now. Isn't that the good news? Like, we're not God, um, but now we have His authority in us because we have been made sons of God, heirs of God. And one of my favorite passages, 2 Peter chapter 1, he says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So you have everything you need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to share, called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. We actually share the very nature of God now. Now again, we don't become God, but now his spirit has so dwelt within us that now his authority is in us, his power is in us, that as we do share the gospel, he works through us. So go forth in that great encouragement. When we speak, we're speaking as ambassadors of God, carrying forth his full weight of authority and power within us. Not that we will wield it, but his spirit is in us using it. And that is a glorious, glorious privilege that we have. And so, yes, we do go forth, not in our might, but in the power of God because his power is in us. So, yes, that's a good, good question. Again, next week, Psalm 32. Um, really, I, I encourage you to be praying and reading through that as we make our way to that. Also, a barbecue next week. Um, glad you were here with us. Do you have a question? Oh, okay. Good. Because I don't know if I have answers. All right. We have another song? No, we don't have another song, so I'm praying. Father, we thank you for this day, and God, you're just a mighty God. God, I just expand our vision of you, our understanding of you, just 
according to your word, God, just help us to see the thundering, powerful presence of your voice, God. God, may we know that, may we love that, and yet, God, as you are so powerful, you don't demonstrate your power in that we, as your people, then try to rule over other people, but you work in us, that your power would be seen in love, in humility, in kindness, in joy, and in peace. And God, help us to demonstrate that as we go out. In your wonderful name, Jesus, amen. Have a blessed day.